Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Tips and Tales podcast. I'm your host, Robert Poe. And as always, I'm here with trainer and author, George DaCosta. How are you doing, George? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm enjoying this and I hope all the folks out there are enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten some some good feedback so far. So um, feel free that if this podcast has been helpful to you to share it with your friends and make sure to uh, rate it and leave a review and subscribe and do all that kind of stuff because it helps other people find us. Uh, we're going to get started with a couple of listener questions. So our first one, um, listener is dealing with their their dog uh, is is doing okay. You know, they were doing great. And then they kind of took a step backwards. Anytime the dog is off the lead, it's not listening. It's just kind of doing whatever it wants to do. I think they said it's about 10 months old. So it, it on some level, it's probably reaching a bit of that teenager phase. Yep. But um, yeah, so it listens great when it's on the lead, off the lead. It just does what it wants. So maybe tell us some of the things that you'd be looking for and what advice you might give them. Okay. Um, yeah. Remember in the last podcast, we talked about the recall command and, and, you know, getting your dog under control and doing a little bit of obedience and uh, working forward on that. So this plays into, into what's transpiring here. But before I, I get into that, I want to, I want to say that I get questions a lot, emailed to me, phone calls, people texting me, asking what to do about this or that. And I'm going to qualify this by saying that I, I will answer almost all my questions. My answers to the questions will almost be always, I can't tell you exactly what to do because I'm not there reading your dog. I'm not with you. I might give you some mm-hmm. options, some options to do things and what to look for, but a lot of a lot of fixing a challenge is one getting to the root cause of the problem. So yeah. I yeah. would be asking people questions like what happened here, what happened there, to see if there was a specific incident that made the problem occur. And which is which is something that you've mentioned that when you have a dog that's brought actually brought to you you know, that has a problem, that's typically where you start is sort of that, okay, so to, you know, you ask some investigative questions to try to figure out what maybe caused it. Absolutely. That's the first place I always start. I start asking questions to see if I can find out if, was there an incident that caused this problem? And most of the time there was, Mm -hmm. um, almost all the time. And sometimes you have to dig it out of the person, but usually you can find it. So number one is I want to know, is there a root cause? What, what, what caused this problem? And then I'm going to read the dog to start seeing how, how can we fix it? Because like I said, I like to have a lot of tools in my tool pouch. Mm-hmm. And if one technique doesn't work, I, I might use the other technique. So I'm always very careful on answering these questions. And I want to let people know that I'm going to answer them in a manner of this is what I'm going to look for. This is what I might be considering. This is what might be happening. But I'm not not reading your dog. Not too long ago, somebody called me with a question. And, uh, and I said, you know, I, I can't tell you. I'm going to tell you what I'll be looking for. And I gave this person like five different things I've been looking for. And then the next thing I know, posted on Facebook is I had a trainer tell me this and that and that. And, that. and that's not what I said at all. I, I am not telling you what to do with your dog. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you what I would consider looking at to see what might be the pause, cause of the problem. 
and then giving you some options to say this might work or that might work. I yeah, can't, yeah. I, I can't diagnose the dog over the over the phone or over text, but mm-hmm. I will yeah. definitely answer the question. So I just want people to realize that. Um, so first of all, yeah, ten months old, you're going to get dogs that are that are starting to act up. It's very important that you remember we talked about the positive at the at the at the at the when the dog comes to you for mm-hmm, a recall mm-hmm. it's always positive well my questions would be to this person did anything ever happen when the dog came back to you was there ever an incident did anything ever happen and sometimes somebody will tell me yeah i got really mad at the dog and i did this and i did that and well now that dog's got that implemented and it's mine it, it's going to take a lot more work to get that dog fixed than it would if it's just acting up as a teenager yeah it was actually yeah. a specific incident so Number one is uh, make sure that everything's positive. And I always go back with a dog, regardless of what the challenge is, I go back to the basics and I go forward. So with a dog that's having a recall problem, I'm going to go back to starting with a lot of praise, treat, getting it to know that this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to comply. I'm really happy. I also want to build a bond with the dog so it wants to please me. Uh, And then if the dog wants to start acting up, I'm going to make sure that the dog knows that I'm in charge of the pack. There's a pack mentality. So um, once the dog knows that you are the pack leader, it complies a lot more. So Mm -hmm. let's see here. What's going on? Is this dog acting up only on the recall or is it not staying in one place when you put it in one place? Is it jumping on people? Is it doing this? Do we have to get control of this dog in the total environment so that it knows you're the pack leader? This is where we're at in the pack so that it it, it also responds and complies to all the commands because the recall command might just be a part of the problem. It might not mm-hmm. be the, 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 the problem. Um, so I'm going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to make it positive. I'm going to put it on the lead. I'm going to start enforcing it depending on the age. Now, this dog's 10 months old. And if you heard me say that I, I introduced the e-collar four or five months old, have them start wearing it. If this dog has been exposed to birds or if a pup has been exposed to birds and it's been a puppy for a while, this might be the time I introduce an e-collar and start adding the e-collar to, to, the, to the recall command. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this does, and we'll get into e-collars later on, is it lets the dog know that you can enforce a command, whether it's two feet away or 20 yards away. And um, if your dog is not collar-wise, the recall command becomes a very useful tool with the e-collar if used correctly. And I'm going to throw this out before we even get into the e-collar. I was one of those guys when it first came out that said, I am never putting that on my dog. There's no way, because they were actually a shock collar. Mm-hmm. Well, the e-collar now is totally different. It's like the difference between your phone and the first computer that came out. You can do all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So I will I will um, go to the e-collar, and I will introduce it properly, and I will have the dog wearing the e-collar so it's not collar-wise, and then I will add that to my, my, my recall command. So... Number of things there, back to the basics, make sure it's a positive at the end, um, do some formal sessions, make sure you are the pack leader, you are the quarterback in the team. Um, and if there was an incident there, let's see how we have to work through that incident and then maybe, you know, add the e-collar um, over that. And again, I'm doing some 
some shotgun approach here and when I'm speaking because mm-hmm. I'm not looking right at that dog knowing, knowing the exact circumstances of it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, again, just hearing hearing your response in that, uh, as I think about what I have heard people say of how you let a dog know that you're in charge, a lot of those have not actually been super positive things. It's always, you know, like, you know, almost kind of like a domineering over the dog. So maybe could you, could you maybe flesh out just a little bit about what you mean by helping the dog know that you're the quarterback, that you're in charge of the team? Like, how do you do that with your dog in ways that help, you know, cause obviously we want to keep it, everything positive. So how do you do that in a positive manner? That's a great question. And the reason is it's, it's not so much as, okay, I'm going to get hard on the dog right now. I'm going to do this or that to the dog. And I, when I get to healing, I get, I get a little more forceful on the dog and I get a little more for, forceful. Usually what it means is you're inconsistent. Usually what it means is you're letting, you're doing the things that we talked about earlier that you shouldn't be doing. You're giving the recall command and you're saying, come, I got to be careful. My dogs mm-hmm. come, come, come Shiloh, come, mm-hmm. Shiloh, come, come. I said, come. Shiloh, come, come, come here, Shiloh, come, come. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that kind of stuff and the dog's not coming. And so you've taught your dog not to come to the recall. So number one, be consistent. Don't use the command that you're, that you can enforce, use it when you can enforce it and make sure that you release the command once you've enforced it. So if you're telling your dog to sit, are you letting it get up when it wants to? If you're telling it to, oh, most of the problems with the recall command or many other commands are inconsistency from from things that have happened prior to. So when I say make sure that you're the quarterback, that means that are you consistent then when you tell it to whoa that it stays on whoa until you let it out? Are you consistent when you tell it to down that it stays on down? Mm-hmm. Are you consistent to, to to know that it can't do stuff and you correct it when it does? Or is it getting away with stuff some of the times and, you know, or are you feeding it a treat every single time where they're training you? You're not. So usually it's not so much that all of a sudden I'm going to change my attitude or change my training style, especially for me. I'm not, I'm not trying to brag here, but my dogs don't have many of those problems. Um, it's like that little puppy I said that came to the clinic that it went out there and we couldn't get it to break. It, mm-hmm. we, no matter what we did, because it was brought along in the in a manner that it understood. Yeah, yeah. So when I say make sure that it's it, it, that it knows where it fits in the pack, that's being consistent with all commands that it complies to the command that you give the command a couple of times, but doesn't comply to it. You don't use that command over and over, but you make it comply to it later on. You make sure you release it on the commands and that it understands that you're the quarterback. You do this. So is that mm-hmm. making sense? To yeah. You? Yeah. Yeah. So just, again, that sort of that making sure that, you know, you are super consistent with things. And so with, with that, and I think maybe you touched a little bit on this. So when they, when they don't, when there is that problem going back to that basic and going back to, you know, like on the recall, like if they don't, um, have, uh, they're not coming back consistently, you know, having it, they get back to you, positive experience, 10 minutes later, okay, we're going to go on the lead and we're going to reinforce that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're going to go on the lead. We're going to do that a couple of times a day. We're going to go back to that. Mm-hmm. We might do that lead a couple of times a day. We might do it for another two weeks. We're going to yeah, reestablish yeah. everything and I'm going to make sure I let you know. And then if it's time to go to the e-caller, we're going to go to the e-caller, but I'm going to look at the whole the whole picture, I'm not just, and I hope you hear me saying this, I'm not just going to look at 
Is it just the recall that this dog is not doing? Yeah, it? yeah. Is there mm-hmm. is there more of a challenge someplace else in the entire environment and the way that it's being taught and the consistency that is the wife saying or the husband saying yeah, one yeah. thing and the other wife saying it? So you see what I mean? Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. not a simple question, and I, and that's why I preface this by, oh, if your dog if your dog is not coming, then you slap the re, the e collar on and you you give it a couple good shocks and get it. No, you're not going to hear that from me. Yeah, because yeah. that might not be the problem at all. It might be a situation yeah, there could be. where you're not it, consistent or or you got mad at the dog when it came to you and you got rough with the dog or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I'm going to look at all the options and I'm going to go back to my method of trying to be positive and bring it back up in a sequence that it understands. Because I'm not going to just try to correct it with an e-collar because it, the sequence might not make sense to it. And I might not have been consistent or somebody might not have been consistent. So now I'm getting yeah. the dog a little confused. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yep. yeah, exactly. Great. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a super helpful and not just on just that situation, but on a lot of different situations. So any situation. All right. Well, our next question uh, is not necessarily about training, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to go hang on. Oh I just, yeah. I just thought of something. Oh, I perfect. Wanna, go I for wanna, it. I want to mention, and that is, You've heard me say that I have a lot of tools um, and I try to use as many tools as possible. Um, Excuse me. I want to have as many tools as possible, but I may use one or two tools, whatever one works. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, and I'm just thinking on that recall command, sometimes the dog hasn't gotten it totally. So you might switch tools. You might do the woe every time before it eats and you might give more treats. You might try different tools to get that dog to understand, but always make it a positive at the end. So that's the other nuance to that is I'm going to look at all the stuff that we already talked about. You know, is it more than just the command? Is it an environment? Is what's going on? Is it consistency? Do we have to back up? Mm -hmm. But I'm also going to look at the tools. What techniques are being used and are there other techniques that might work better? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. To help that dog kind of click with it a little bit better. Yep. 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 Good. Good. No, that's a, that's a great addition right there. Okay, so the next question, not necessarily about training itself, but I think a, a question that a lot of people have. So listener wrote in and um, they they were talking about how uh, they're actually were looking for, for a puppy and but deciding on a breed. And they were deciding, I think it was between um, a griff and a wire hair and uh, a poodle pointer. And I'm going to forget what the fourth one is because I didn't write it down. Um, but... Uh, so tell us maybe a little bit about some of the factors that you think about when it comes to, um, picking a, a breed, but also I think maybe even picking a breeder, which I think is, is as important as picking a breed. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, so, you know, first of all, I, I love all the hunting breeds I work with, I love them all, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's why this is, you're a good person to ask this question too, because even though you, you know, you right now you have griffs. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like anytime you talk about a breed, it's like, oh yeah, man, they're so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they are in individual areas um, many times, and many times they're they're good in a lot of different areas that you don't expect them to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about specific breeds. Um, but I like, I like, I love watching a pointer or set her out in the field. I love Britney's German short hairs. I love, I, I could just go on and on and on. So I won't, I won't beat that horse, but, um, I enjoy all breeds. 
having say, said that, there are, are specific breeds that do things um, in a different in a different manner. You know, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to get an English pointer, most likely it's going to be a hard running, long distance, out in front of you dog that wants to point, maybe doesn't want to retrieve. Same thing with many setters. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you want the looks of a setter, you want one a little closer working, so you go with a Llewellyn setter. Um, so you're going to look at, at, first of all, in my opinion, you're going to look at what are you going to do as a family and as a hunting situation. Mm-hmm. So am I doing mostly waterfall? Am I doing ditches with, with uh, pheasants in it or close hunting quail? Am I hunting chucker that's way out there, or, or, you know, 400 yards over the top of that hill? Mm-hmm. Um, am I doing a lot of waterfowl? Am I doing a little bit of waterfowl? So I, I'm going to look at what type of areas do I hunt? Do I hunt areas that are really tight, full of vegetation, hard to get through, lots of trees? Or am I hunting the plains where it's wide open, the sweet grass in Montana where I can see my dog for a mile out there? What, what, what's my main? Now, you might hunt them all. I try to hunt them all. I mean, I I'm, I'm, I'm do all kinds of stuff. Uh, but I do have a main love, you know, where I like, like to hunt. So mm-hmm. my primary is the upland, and it's like coil hunting and... And so you look at what what would fit me the best? What would fit my lifestyle the best? Mm-hmm. Um, do I live in an apartment? Do I live in a ranch? Do I live in a place where I got a big yard? You know, uh, what, size, what size? So you're going to look at all that stuff. And then you're going to look at what is the general for the breeds. And I'm going to say general because you can have differences within breeds and you can have differences in litters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I say general... You're going to look at what's the breed known for, you know, is it known for long distance? Is it known to be close working? Is it known to be hard headed? Is it known to be heavy prey drive with other animals? You know, some of the dogs mm-hmm. are, are, uh, are heavy prey drive with fur and, 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 uh, they're, they're actually meant to kill. Um, or am I looking for a dog that doesn't have that prey drive? That's more of a retriever. And, you know, so I'm going to look at, what am I doing in my lifestyle and what different breeds do? And I'm going to get a general opinion of that. Now, once I have a general opinion of that, I'm going to go by personal preference, what I like in a dog, what I see in a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to get really important to the breeder. If I, if I now look at it and, and, and I'm going to use some general things here. So don't, I, you know, I, I I'm always wary of talking about breeds because I'm always going to offend somebody, you know, somebody's <laughs> yeah. going to go, Oh no, my dog's not like that. My dog's like this. Well, that's mm-hmm. true. But yeah, because again, but, even within the same litter there, you can have completely different personalities and hunting styles and you know, it's, it, there's yeah. a lot of difference in there. Yeah, I may have mentioned this before, but I had two dogs come in, two poodle pointers come in from from Hawaii, and the guys were best friends, and they brought these two poodle pointers from the same litter, and one was a a hard running, go crazy dog, and the other one was really, really timid. And these were brothers from the same, completely different dogs, mm-hmm. and uh, from the same litter. So, so we can you know throw that out there right now but generally speaking and i think you said griff okay so um um the griff world you're going to have a dog that loves to please you 
um, most of the time. You're going to have a dog sometimes that's a little closer worker, not uh, not always. And uh, you're going to have a dog with a with a long coat that you may have to deal with in briars and brush and cockleburs and foxtails. So where are you hunting? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to look at those areas, but then I'm going to look at the breeder. Um, and griffs have a wide variety out there. They're becoming very popular in the companion world and mm-hmm. they're already popular in the show world and they're popular in the hunting world. So you can have a griff that has coming, is coming from a breeder that has nothing to do with hunting, nothing to do with show. They're in it for the money. They're breeding it for companions because it's a cute dog and it's good, well-mannered dog. And who knows what genetics that thing has in it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a so, griff puppy is, is really cute. Let's be real. Yeah, really <laughs> most <cute. laughs> most most people when they see one of those, they're like, "Oh, that's a cute dog." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but but uh, any breeder will tell you. I mean, they're cute. Yeah, they're yeah. Me, Puppies anyway. in general. Yeah, yeah, that is very yeah. true. So, um, you know, you you're gonna have that, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna if I'm if I'm a waterfowl hunter, I and I I'm settling on a griff. I'm gonna look for a griff that the owner actually does a lot of waterfowl hunting at this griff. Because mm-hmm. guess what? That breeder is gonna weed out the griffs that don't have the genetics. When you have a versatile hunting dog, you have a large genetic pool. Uh, unlike when you have a retriever or a basic pointer, you know, they're they're bred to point, period. They're mm-hmm. bred to retrieve, period. Now, they have some other nuances, but the versatile hunting dog is might have pointing in his background, might have retriever in his background, might have prey drive in his background, yeah. fur, might have search in it. And, you know, there's a lot more in there. So you can kind of develop within the breed certain genetics if you keep keeping the pups that you like that do this or that, right? Yeah. Well, and I think so, I actually remember... Um, uh, somebody who, who is now very into griffs talking on another podcast where initially he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with griffs because they're, they work too close. They're too slow and methodical because in the area that he lived in, they were mostly grouse hunters and that's how the griffs up there were bred. And then he saw a griff that didn't do that. And he, you know, runs them in chucker fields all the time and they do great and they range awesome for him. And he initially never would have guessed that because of geographically the griffs were bred differently where he was. Yeah. I actually have people that call for, for, for those type of areas where they want the closer hunting griffs, you know, and they call me in and I'll say, you don't want one of my griffs. Um, Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll they'll go now they'll learn to work closer and stuff, but they got some wheels on them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and anyhow, you're right. So I'm going to, I'm going to look at the breeder and I'm going to look at what I primarily want to do. And does that breeder actually do that? Do they, Mm -hmm. do they actually do that? And I don't mean just test their dog and, but do, you know, where'd you hunt last year? Where'd you go? And so on and so forth. So whether it be, and, and we'll get into some different breeds here real quickly and then get off of this but the most important thing to me is what does the breeder actually do with their dogs in real life Mm -hmm. and i mean real life i don't mean they take them to the test or they take them to a show or they do this or do that what do they do with their dogs in real life are they avid upland hunters are they avid sharp avid sharp tail hunters or pheasant hunters or quail hunters or goose hunters Mm -hmm. do they actually hunt all the time or do they hunt a couple of times a year and then i like to look at the grandparents of, of of the puppies um, cause the grandparents will tell you a whole lot, sometimes more than the parents. Of course, the parents are important, but the grandparents, those genetics are huge coming into a puppy. 
So what did the grandparents do? Were they hunters? Did they do this? Did they do that? I like to, I like the grandparents. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I will look at that. Um, if I've, if I've picked my breed that the, the breeder is yeah. the most yeah. important. Um, and you want to pick a breeder that fits into your lifestyle and your hunting style and, and, don't be afraid to get on a waiting list. I mean, I see that all the mm-hmm. time. Somebody goes, well, you know, I couldn't find a dog, so I took this one, and now I'm having a problem with this or that. Now, once in a while, you get a perfect dog, which is fine, but if you're going to pay two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 for a dog sometimes, don't be afraid to wait a little while to get the right one yeah, from the right yeah. breeding. You know? Instant gratification is not your friend in that instance. <laughs> yeah, and you can get a good one, but the genetics play out most yeah, of the time. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's rolling the dice a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, if you're looking from what you listed to me, you know, the Griffs have, have a, a variance, the Poodle Pointers, the Poodle Pointers, I think, have a, a variance in a different way. Um, and again, I'm not trying to make anybody mad here. The Poodle Pointers aren't in the AKC, so they're, they're not show. They're not as many companion dogs um, because of, mm, because of yeah. what they are. You, you don't see them in shows. You don't see them being used just for general public. Most most of the Poodle Pointers are with hunters mm-hmm. or, or uh, there is getting more, or with uh, hunting breeders. Now, in the Poodle Pointer, Poodle Pointer, I'm going to tell you, there's a big variance. You've got those slicks that are like pointers. They're hard-running, hard-headed dogs, and you've got some mm-hmm. of them that are just, you would believe they're a griff, you know. Um, they've got the same temperament. So there's a variance there. So again, I, I, I'm going to look at who's the breeder, mm-hmm. what do they do, what kind of dogs are they producing, who's the grandfather. But generally speaking, I will see Poodle Pointer because it has that pointer in it. You can get a, a harder driving dog, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now you're going to hit a wire hair, and you're going to hit a wire hair. Wire hairs, wire, wire hairs are born and bred to be tough prey dogs. They're also waterfowl mm-hmm. dogs. They're also you know, upland dogs. But you're going to have a harder running dog and maybe a dog with high prey drive. Yeah, and especially if you get the difference between a German wire hair, you know, kind of American line versus a, a Drothauer, which is, you know, the actual like German lines controlled by the German testing system and which does have a lot more. Uh, yeah, yeah, prey drive. Yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say something there, and 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 you're correct in that in the different in the different areas of what people are breeding for, what people are testing for, and I'm gonna throw this way out to the side here a little bit so people people will see what I'm saying. The genetics in that dog are still there, regardless of how far they've come. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a pit bull here, and we used to have pit bulls that grab pigs, and I had some great pit bulls. But when somebody tells me, oh, yeah, I have a pit bull and it was and it was raised with my child and it's absolutely fine, I'm still worried because the mm-hmm. pit bull does not bite because it necessarily wants to bite. The pit bull was bred to bite and hold on to, so the genetics are deep in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lady in, I think it was San Francisco, who was the pit bull advocate, her pit bull killed her. I had a friend who, in fact, my friend Bruce, his neighbor, his kid, his neighbor's kid was raised with Pupple, slept with him growing up, kill, bit the kid. I don't know if the kid died. I think it did. It's not the Pupple's fault. Something mm-hmm. triggered, triggered that instinct that was way deep inside of it. And yeah. I always bring this up. I say, I can't tell you how many times people with Poodles or some oddball breed will go, not oddball breed, but a breed that was once maybe a, a hunting dog. They'll tell me, I have a poodle, 
and you wouldn't believe it. The other day I'm walking along and all of a sudden it did this beautiful point and it just picked up its front paw and it was pointing this bird. I couldn't believe it. I get that because I meet a lot mm-hmm. of people, right? Yeah. Well, that dog wasn't trained to hunt, wasn't exposed to birds. Just the instinct popped out at some point in yeah. time. Yeah. So when I'm talking about instinctual stuff, you'd, whether it be a German wire hair or a Drothauer, the instincts in that dog were were born mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. bred and developed to be high powered, very strong um, go getters and have a high prey drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to look at that now. Could you have a could you have wire hairs that are bred more towards this or that? Absolutely. And yeah. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Same thing with Britneys. And the other one might have been a Britney. I don't know. Oh, you know, uh, I think it was actually. Yeah, just that was a guess because of what you said. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and so Britney's, um, there's a lot of Britney's and I hope I'm not making a bunch of people mad, but there's a lot of Britney's back in the older days that had a bunch of pointer pumped into the breed quietly to make them harder runners for field trials and stuff. Mm -hmm. I had a Britney one time that the judge looked at me and said, I think you got more pointer in that Britney than you got Britney in that Britney, because we know back in the day that. People pump, and they still, they now that DNA's come out, it's much harder, but there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of breeds that have other other breeds tied into them back in the old days to bring something out in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I look at a Brittany, I, Brittany's are great family dogs, are good working dogs, but you can look at them and you can see the line. There might be some little timid ones in that line, and there might be a whole other line, might be some big, big, bone taller go get mm-hmm. field dog so i'm going to look at what line of uh, dogs they're in and then again the breeder and then the parents and then the grandparents and i'm gonna I'm, i know this is not an easy question to answer i'm going into it quite a bit but again yeah. um you you have to look at what you're going to do what breed fits best to you and then more importantly what breeder fits best to you and what has his dogs accomplished and done in real life parents and specifically grandparents to me Mm -hmm. so so some of the i mean make sure to know yourself and what you want to do Mm -hmm. and then take your time do your research do your research know know what's going to fit you best then look at what what genetics fit you best in among the breeds? I mean, in a general sense, mm-hmm. what attracts you to that breed? You like the looks of Britneys more than you do a Griff, ben, ben, but they're comparable here in the field. And then, then look at the breeders for mm-hmm. real life, and then and then look at uh, uh, the parents. So yeah, um, I'm trying to wrap that up. Is is you know look at what you're looking for in a dog companionship and hunting wise look at a variance in the breeds of what they generally do. Then if you find something that you like for whatever reason, then look at the breeders on what they do in the real life circumstances and look what the pedigree has done as far as parents and grandparents. Yeah. Great. All right. I'm going to get a quick drink of water because we yeah, don't know yeah. where to go. <laughs> um, yeah. And don't forget that you can write in those questions or uh, suggestions to tips and tales podcast at gmail.com. And as they come in, we'll kind of spend a little bit of time uh, answering some of those at the beginning of these episodes. So, uh, so we're going to keep, keep chugging away through the book today. And uh, up next is introduction to birds. So this is a, a I, I would think a really important step in this. And then if it's, done right it sets you up so much better than if it's not <laughs> yeah and i and, and again i'm going to back up just a little bit and 
I'm going to hit on what we said uh, in earlier, um, whatever uh, post, I mean, um, episode it was on, that it's, and I think it was the last episode we discussed, it's much easier to um, go at something in a, in a correct order and in mm-hmm. a slower manner than it is to fix a problem later on. And that comes into the birds, the bird situation. Uh, I try to introduce my pups to birds and my pups and pups. When, when pups come here, I do the same routine pretty much with every dog that gets here. I don't care what somebody tells me. I want to make sure that dog is not gun shy and is not bird shy and has confidence around birds before we take it out in the field. Mm-hmm. That's just something I do here. Um, and so, uh, my introduction to birds, I start off, if I have a puppy and we're talking about puppy, I hold, I hold a, a bird, I hold a pigeon in my, and you can start off with a wing a little bit, let them play with a wing for a little bit, but I don't do a lot of wing work because, uh, first of all, you don't want them sight pointing and you mm-hmm. know, chewing up and eating wings. So I'll might play with the wing for a little bit, show them, and I might even get do the wing on the string, which we'll talk about. Um, but, um, what I want to do is. I take a live bird and I put it in my hand and I let the dog come up and sniff it and maybe even pull on the wing a little bit. I'll do that to the whole litter sometimes at our house. But when I get a puppy or even here at the ranch, I will get down low and I'll put a, I have a bird in my hand. I'll sometimes I'll sit down with the pup right in front of me and I'll let it kind of grab at the wing and play. I'm building confidence in the dog's what is this? And I can, I can, mm-hmm. I can manhandle a little bit and, and letting the dog scent it and, and making it fun. And then I step away from the dog, maybe three or four yards. And I let the, let the bird go, let the pigeon fly away. And I'm doing that so that the, 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 the dog doesn't happen to walk up to a, a bird that got its wings locked in the field or what have you. And, and come right front and that bird flies up and hits it right in the face and something happens or it spurs mm-hmm. it or something. I want to make sure that everything's real positive at the start. Yeah. So, you, and, and one of those things is you don't want to like do the first introduction with like a live pheasant or something like that. You know, that's a bigger bird that could, could do some damage if it, if it really wanted to. Absolutely. Actually, I tell most, all my clients when they start talking about their pup and the first time getting out to hunt some of them will say i'm gonna can i take my pup on a dove hunt and i'll say i would not advise that for two reasons if it's your dog's first experience number one there's going to be a lot of guns involved and many times a dog that does perfectly well with one gun or two guns also all of a sudden if you especially if you know that dog might be considered noise sensitive mm-hmm. um you have eight guns fire off at one time and the gun uh, the dog becomes gun sensitive or gun shy yeah i've yeah. heard that and seen that happen i've dealt with dogs that that's happened and number two is is they pick the bird up in its mouth and dove feathers stick to a dog a puppy's mouth and they can't get them off of their mouth. Mm. And so the first bird they really see out in actual hunting is a dove. And you shoot it and goes and picks it up and brings it to you. And now it's got all that downy dove stuck to its mouth. And it's like, yeah, I yeah. don't like this. And yeah. now all of a sudden you've got a negative on a, on a retrieve. And then, and then I tell them, don't go for pheasants the first thing. Pheasants will run and tr- they're wily. So not only could they spur your dog and our big bird for the first retrieve, but they'll work your dog around in a circle and up and draw and down the hill and around and back and circle behind mm-hmm. you and flush behind you and, you know, do all kinds of crazy things. Get them out on something like huns or quail or something that they can get on and yeah, sharp yeah. tail is great. So, anyhow. yeah, again, just wanting it to be that positive experience from the beginning. You want them to be successful. Yes, yes. So I will introduce a, a bird um, that way, which I just showed you. Um, I will um, 
Let them play with the wing. I'll throw a couple birds. I'll do that a couple of times. I'll, then if I can get them out into the field, I'll do the same thing. Toss a bird or two. Let them chase. I let them chase. Let them get it out. Let them go have fun. Make it, make it all a pos- positive experience. So that's the first things I do. And I'm going to tell you, I read the pup. I mean, in the book, I have that one, Mrs. Timid, where I actually had to introduce little feathers before I could get to a bird. Most bird dogs are going to want to go right at the bird. But mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I've had many, many pups come to me that seem to be like Miss Timid that ended up being incredibly good bird dogs. Sometimes you just have to work with what you got. And if you have a timid dog or a shy dog or a soft dog, mm-hmm. you work it through it. And that's just like the guy I was telling you about martial arts. He may not have had the natural ability that I had, but he could kick my butt by the end of, the, by the end of it. He was the champion. Yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. So um, I'm going to read the dog, and I'm going to progress through the birds just like that. I'm going to progress in a, in a, in a quickly manner. So if they're, they're fine, they feel the, the, they grab the bird by the wing. If I see a dog that is bird sensitive, and I've had those, um, I will roughhouse with the dog with the wing. I'll let it pull on that bird. I'll even want it to catch a bird. You know, I say normally the worst thing can happen is, is catch a bird. I usually say the worst thing can happen with a high drive dog is it can catch a bird. Mm-hmm. If I have a dog that's very low drive and doesn't have the confidence and doesn't have the bird drive in it, then I'll clip a bird wing and let that uh, clip a bird wing and I will uh, tape its beak so it can't, it can't peck the dog mm-hmm. and I'll let the dog chase it and grab it and manhandle it to bring out that drive in the, in the dog. Yeah. So depending on the dog is, is I just for, I adjust for that. Okay. Um, I'll even sometimes put a bird in a harness to where I can put it on a pole, a live bird. And this is for a low drive dog and I'll drag it along the ground and I'm not trying to do the, the uh, wing on a string point. I'm trying to have that mm-hmm. dog chase that bird and grab a hold of it it's in a harness and i can almost play a tug of war with it yeah um again that is to bring out the drive for the for the bird so i'm reading the puppy and i'm doing what is best what i think and i see is best for the puppy whether it be go straight to the field start tossing birds go straight to a winglock bird which i'll talk about here in a second um uh i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm going to use the techniques and the process and the sequence that I see works best for that pup. Um, I always start with the, with the bird, live bird right in front, maybe a little wing to play with, let it grab the bird, let it scent the bird right mm-hmm. on top of me. Many times when I have a puppy, I will take a, a quail and I'll rub it on my chest. I'll take the quail and rub it on my chest and on my shirt. And now I'll bring the puppy in and I've got the bird here and I'm, playing with the dog and the dog's on my chest and kind of laying on me on the couch and playing and now what it's doing it's associating me having fun being on me with the smell of this bird and mm-hmm. then it's grabbing the bird and everything's really prop positive it's all part of its life yeah so i'll do little things like that um once i get once i know that dog's got some drive and it's chasing the birds and it's going to go after the birds and everything's good i'll sometimes do the wing on the string but that's mainly for pointing and we'll get into that in the next one um, and then sometimes I'll wing lock a bird and it shows in the book how to wing lock a bird and I'll bring the bird, the dog right up to the bird on a lead so it doesn't grab it unless I have a dog I want to grab a bird um, and then I'll hold it and then I'll go up and, and flush the bird there. So um, after that, if I'm confident in what I see the pup doing, I will introduce the puppy to a launcher 
And I want to do this because I don't want any negative out in the field where the dog doesn't know what a launcher is. And the mm -hmm. first thing you do is you have a dog and a bird and, and the launcher pops up in the puppy's face or makes a loud noise. And now you scare the, the, the pup and the bird flies away and it recognizes the bird and it goes, I don't want to deal with that thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Cause especially those automatic launchers, they have, uh, I mean, they, they make noise and. Oh yeah, they flap open. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's basically all I use anymore is the remote ones. Um, I do use a kickbox, but um, and we'll talk about those later on. But what I'll do is I'll I, I won't use a bird to start with. I will have somebody hold my puppy or or have somebody hold a hold their pup. And people, anybody who's been to my property is going, "Yep, he did that with my dog." And so after I've introduced him to a bird, then I'll then I'll take a bumper or something and throw it in the air and get the dog enticed. I'll have the person hold the puppy. And as it's looking at the bump, we'll use a bumper and I'm tossing the rope around and the dog wants to come and get it, gets excited to get it. I'll be like 10 or 15 yards away and I'll put the bumper in a bird launcher and I'll have somebody hold the pup by a lead and I'll pop the launcher and the item will go flying in the air the bumper will hit the ground on as soon as it hits the ground i have them let go of the the pup so it runs over to the launcher because it saw it fly in the air and then and then it smells the bird launcher and it runs over and smells the bird launcher because it's got all the scent yeah so now it's heard the sound it's smelled the, the launcher it's been all positive it might go pick up the the bumper and run around we might do that a couple of times now I can use a bird launcher in the field as I, as I move forward. Mm -hmm. Before I go to a bird launcher, I wing lock a bird. And like I say, that, that shows in the book. And I will take the pup on a lead to the, to the bird on, that is wing locked. And I will hold it. It might point on its own. It might not. I will hold it. And then I'll go release the bird. I'll have somebody release the uh, lead, hold on to the collar. And I'll let the bird go and let the pup chase it again. So now it's come up to a bird. By the way, here's a tip for you. Whenever I do this, I take the bird and I draw a big circle with the bird in where I'm going to place the bird. And I'll draw a little track, just a little line away from from the from the circle I just drew. So I'm kind of using the bird as my pen. Mm -hmm. um, and then I will place the bird in the middle of that circle. So basically what I'm doing is drawing, drawing what looks like a lollipop. Uh, a big circle with a line on it yeah, yeah. with the bird. And when I bring that pup in for the first time, I'm going to bring it right into that line. So it all of a sudden it's in the scent cone. It scents it on the ground and it scents the bird. And there's a lot of scent on the ground and it gets excited. Mm -hmm. And then it's either going to point on its own or we're going to hold it and we're going to let the bird go. When we let the bird go, I'm going to make sure that somebody's got the collar and the leads off. I'm going to let that dog chase. I'm going to let that puppy chase. And I'm going to praise it. Good boy. Good girl. Da, 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 da. So now it's, it's had the bird in front of it. It's maybe grabbed a wing or played with it. If it didn't have bird drive, we let it, we let it actually grab a live bird or chase a live bird. We start bringing out the prairie drive. We flush some birds in the field in front of it. So it sees the flush. Um, and then we're going to bring it right up to a bird in the scent cone and let it flush. Now we know that dog's, that dog's, got no problems with birds and we can start working on pointing and start working on bird work mm -hmm. there's actually a picture in the book if you look at where i have all the pups in the pen and that's the pen i hold it in before i feed it um the wire pen and i've got i've got pigeons in my hand i'm holding it and i do that with all the when i've got a litter of puppies i put that bird in there with a wing and i'm i'm letting all those pups chase that wing around the around the pen and they're trying to grab it and i'm outside of the pen holding it and 
and all the pups are getting excited to get the bird night. And then I mm -hmm. hold it well above the pin and I let it go and the bird flies away and the puppies are all watching it. And so they're six weeks old and they're like, what was that? That was fun. Mm -hmm. and so um, I do the same thing when I, when I get a pup. So then from there, I do the wing lock. After we do that, we go to bird launchers and we get into pointing. So, um, I answer all your questions. There? Yeah. 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 No, I think that was a good, a good overview. And, and again, I mean, just reinforcing what has been the case with everything is just that positivity and figuring out how far, how, how easy you need to go into it to make sure it starts positive for the dog. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out here right now. And that is, if you listen to what we've been talking about the last few episodes, none of it's rocket science. You know, it's all pretty simple stuff. It's just doing it in a sequence that the dog can understand and in a sequence that you try to alleviate causing a problem that is now a challenge to fix. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when people are working with pups, they got to not screw them up. <laughs> so if you take things in a slow manner and in, in, in a manner that the pup understands and that is easy for it to move forward and it's fun and positive it's all good and it's all it's you don't have to fix problems later on and, and a lot mm -hmm. of my stuff that i do because i've interviewed so many people we you know on our questions that we just dealt with good a good example there's so many people that i've dealt with over the years that have a challenge with their puppy and as i mentioned before almost every time I can take it back to a problem someplace almost every time. Mm -hmm. So when I do stuff, it might be elongated and people say, Oh, you don't need to do that. Just take the pup out, let it flush a bird. Yeah, that's true. You could do that. Yeah, absolutely true. But I see the ones where that, that was a problem where something happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to do it that, that I can circumvent that problem and it's all positive and it's all in a sequence that the dog understands or the puppy understands mm -hmm. that way. Things are so much easier in the future. Yeah, it's way easier to teach a dog to train a dog that's been brought along that way than one that something happened to it. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that perfectly leads into the introduction to gunfire, which is the next chapter. Which, yeah, I mean, there's you know, you hear all the time about people that like, oh yeah, I introduced my dog to gunfire. I threw him in the back of the truck, and then we went to the gun range, yep. and that way they they heard gunfire. And it's like, well, there's probably some dogs that that was fine on and probably some other dogs that it completely like was devastating to that dog. Absolutely. And, and you know what, when I was really young, I took them to the gun range, sat in the car with them, played with them too. Took them with bird in the car. I, I did many dogs where I flushed a bird and that was the first time that they heard a shot and I was way far away. And uh, so one many, 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 many years ago, one won't get into my age, um, I did all that stuff. But in, in almost 50 years of working with bird dogs, I've also seen a lot of the problems and a lot of the repeat problems and a lot of the problems that are hard to fix. And I got to tell you that gun sensitivity and gun shyness is one of the toughest problems to fix. And when I say it's a problem to fix the toughest problems, you have to have a bird dog. To have a bird dog, you have to have a dog with a nose. If it doesn't have a good nose, you can't fix that nose. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, because that's just a, a physical piece of the dog yep. that it's, you yep. know, you it, can't change that. Yep. And it has to have been bred with some desire, some good, strong desire. You can help bring the desire on out of it, but if you have a, 
a, a puppy that has no desire and it comes from a lime desire if you don't it, you know you can have a dog with all the desire in the world if it can't smell something it doesn't matter you can have a dog with a great nose but if it doesn't care and doesn't have the drive to go find it and have the heart to stay with it it mm-hmm. doesn't matter so those are those are problems are almost unfixable except for sometimes you can pull out bird drive other than that, the hardest problem to fix I've seen over the years is gun sensitivity or gun shyness. It is a pain, and some mm-hmm. dogs never get fixed. They just they're just washouts because because something has happened. And I have to tell you, every single one, every one that I have dealt with that has been gun sensitive or gun shy was human error. Something has happened mm-hmm. to where, like you say, they've taken them to the gun range and all of a sudden all these guns are going off or the, or they took them in a duck blind or, or, a, or, a, um, or dove hunt, or they just flushed a bird and started shooting over them and they didn't know their dog was, was uh, noise sensitive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will tell you that, uh, you know, I do a lot of noise first. I, I want to make sure that my dog's not no, no, noise sensitive. And people say, well, that doesn't matter. You can have a dog that's noise sensitive that isn't gun sensitive. That's true. But let me tell you, if you have a, gun, a dog that's noise sensitive, there's a much higher potential of mm-hmm. it being gun sensitive or gun shy, the the percentage goes way up. Yeah, yeah. So wait, yeah. It's it's not a direct correlation, but it is at least a warning sign. Like, hey, this is probably something you're going to have to deal with. A big warning. And so, if you can get it over the noise sensitivity sensitivity first before you start introducing guns, mm-hmm. then that percentage has dropped way down that you're going to have a problem. Yeah. And let me tell you, if you if you skip that and and you have a dog that it becomes gun shy or gun sensitive, it is a, it is it is hard to fix and it's heartbreaking. I mean, you watch a dog that shuts down because of a gunfire or runs back to the truck and tucks its tail. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It's very sad. And the dog, I've seen dogs that go out and hunt like crazy, point like crazy. They're fired up to chase a bird and somebody fires the gun, man, they're back at the truck or they're right by their owner's legs peeing himself almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually had a, a lab, one of the labs that we got um, when I was growing up ended up being... And we got them when they were a little bit older and ended up being, I mean, you didn't even have to shoot. All you had to do was pull out the gun and it would, you know, it would go right behind you and wouldn't leave that spot. And, and it was just like, and we, we didn't have any, any idea what to do with it, you know? And so it became kind of a, you know, just a family dog. We stopped taking it hunting. Many of them, many of them become commanders. I had a guy call me, it's interesting that you could, you should say that. Cause I had a guy call me just a while back, a little while back and he, said he had a gun a gun shy dog that was now kind of gun sensitive and he and and i said uh i said well you know tell me a little bit he wanted me to take his dog and i wouldn't i said you're not gonna come visit me for a few days because gun shyness takes months to fix usually usually months sometimes Mm -hmm. a year um and i and i said uh but maybe i can help you give you some ideas like i told you ask all the questions yeah yeah throw out some stuff and so, you know, started started asking him some questions about, you know, he, and then he introduced the, the, the dog fine and so on and so forth. Everything went well. And and then uh, he said, uh, but now even if you bring out the gun, it, uh, it, it does like you said. And I said, well, that tells me right there that 100% sure something happened because 
it's relating that gun to the gunfire and shutting down. Mm-hmm. So that dog has had an incident. And, and I said, usually, if you've introduced it to gunfire and you say it was fine, usually it's because somebody's taken that dog out to a duck hunt in a blind or a dove hunt and and you introduced it to one or two guns from 30 or 40 50 yards away and you came up close and you and it's heard a few gunshots and look good and then the, somebody takes them into a duck blind where there's six guns or three guns and in come the geese and they shoot all three times each or four times each depending you know goose hunting if you're snow goose hunting here you can shoot 10 times and or a dove hunt where there's a bunch of people around you and all of a sudden there's a volley of 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 you know, shots. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it the, sounds like World War Three broke out. Yeah, and the gun shut, and the dog shuts down. He was like, "Well, you know what? That did happen. Took it, my dog to a to a waterfowl hunt, and I had to put it back in the car, and it was young, and but it was fine until then. Well, there you go. You know, there was a there's a problem there. But yeah. having said that, every I'm just saying, every single time that that I have dealt with somebody who's had a dog that is gun sensitive or gun shy, I think it could have been alleviated if it would have been done slowly and properly and they knew what was going on with that pup prior to prior to the gunfire. So what mm-hmm. I do is I am um, First of all, I do loud noises. So you heard me. My puppy bowl is a bowl, and you, you get these puppy bowls so your so your pups. When you have a litter of pups, you don't want them all walking in the bowl, getting the food all over the place. So yeah. they make these bowls that look like a uh, I don't know an old time pie bowl or Jello bowl. I think they call it a donut cake, where the, you bake the cake and it was a big round and there was like a donut. There was nothing in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the bowls look like that. They're 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 on the outside. There's a big trough, but on the inside, there's just a big flat spot to where the food can't go. Similar to like if you were making a, 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 a mm-hmm. one of those round cakes or whatever they call. Where uh, bunt, bunt cakes. Is that what they're called? Yeah, okay. I think so. Bunt cakes. So um, there's a big like drum on in the middle of it. It's just a, a drum. So when I start feeding pups, I tap on that first with my knuckle just gently. And I go, you know, here you go, here you go, puppy. And I'm tapping on that. And again, I, I tap on it. And then I tell them, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I set it down and tell them, tell them my recall command. And I just start getting louder and louder and louder and louder with that to where when it's feeding time, I'm rapping on that thing. Bam, 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 bam. And mm-hmm. they're like, okay, it's time to eat. And they get all, they all fired up. So that loud noise to them is something very positive. And um, I do that when somebody brings me a dog, even before we take them out. Um, and that is I get the pup doing something with the owner and i always ask the owner well let me let me i'm getting a little ahead of myself so i i try to do loud noises whatever it may be softly building up and building up and building up and that's how you tend mm-hmm. to, to work on gun shyness later on too but i do it prior to introducing them to the gun so that the pup is associating a loud noise to something positive it also for me lets me see if i have a, a noise sensitive pup or mm-hmm. a noise sensitive dog because as soon as I see that, boy, I'm going to take things a lot slower, a lot slower. And I'm going to try to yeah, get rid yeah. of that sensitivity if I can before we ever get to a bird and a, and a gun. Um, and I don't introduce gunfire with the bird because what has happened, I've had people bring their dog to me because it has low drive. It has low bird drive. Mm-hmm. And it was fine until there was an incident with a gun. 
and they did something over that dog with the bird with the gun and now it's gun shy and it's bird shy because it is so it associated that problem or that incident with the bird mm-hmm. so if i'm going to have it associate something with gunfire that i need to fix it's not going to be a bird why why double my problem yeah now i have a yeah. dog that, that doesn't like birds because it relates to that and mm-hmm. and uh, you know i i think in the book or someplace i mentioned and if you want to see how you can pull drive out of a dog and think that's not possible, you watch a dog that is that has a lot of drive for a treat. That it loves treats. And then you, and I've had this happen to me many times, and then you start putting some kind of medication in that treat because the dog's on medication, and it doesn't like that medication. Mm-hmm. And you start pulling out that treat, and the dog walks in the other room. Because it's, it's associated that that medication with that treat now. And it used yeah. to run to that treat, beg for that treat. Same thing can happen with birds. You can take the drive out of it by mm-hmm. doing something wrong. So um, when I get ready to introduce a, 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 a puppy to gunfire, first I make sure it's not noise sensitive. I want to know that in advance. If it is, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to try to get it to correlate positive to the noise instead of a negative to the noise. Mm-hmm. Then I find out what really turns that pup on. I mean, what really turns it on? Is it, does it like to roughhouse? Does it like to chase a bumper? Does it like to um, eat? Does it, is it a, does it like to just one of those dogs that you have to buy a bowl for to slow it down from eating? I mean, what really mm-hmm. revs this dog up? And I ask when clients bring out, I ask them, I go, what does that dog like to do with you? Do you like to play? Does it like to roughhouse? Does it like to play with a bumper? What's it like to do? Oh, it really likes to do this. It really gets fired up on that. So what I do then is I have the person do that with the puppy and be right next to the pup. So mm-hmm. let's just use it likes to play with a bumper or a toy. It loves this toy. loves playing with this toy. And um, so I have the person right next to that puppy with the toy or with the bumper or whatever, roughhousing with it, whatever it's doing. I want the person next to the puppy. I don't want the puppy... 20 yards out on a bird taken off. I want the person Mm -hmm. that it loves the most and that it respects the most and that it feels safe with the most right next to the pup. And I walk 30 yards away or so. I turn a starter pistol and I like a 209 primer because they're, they're not as loud as the 22s and I face it in the opposite direction and I might muffle it. I might even put something over the top of it. And I have that person do whatever, whatever fires that pup up. And I fire it and I watch. And if the dog has any kind of reaction, I've already told the person, and if it's me, it's me to just fire the dog back up. Hey, what was that? What was that? What do you think that was? Mm -hmm. So I want to see the dog's reaction. If it's good, I move closer. If it's good, I move a little closer. If it's good, I move a little closer. If it's not, we take our time. And then from that, I'll go to a 410 and then I'll go to a 20 gauge. And once I see that this is fine, then and only then do we go out put the bird in the launcher, let the dog chase a bird or throw a bird and let it chase and fire that gunshot from far away. Cause now I have confidence mm-hmm. that there's not going to be any negativity and negativity with that bird and I can fire it. And I've heard people say, <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to, you have to do, you have to do gunfire with a bird. So the bird dog uh, associates uh, a bird with gunfire your dogs, your pups are way smarter than that. Yeah, yeah. They're going to connect the dots pretty quick. In fact, it probably is only going to take 
one or two birds that gets yeah that they're my my older dog yeah she absolutely in fact we were uh we were hunting at wma last year and somebody else you know 100 yards away shot and she perked up and like started going that way i was just like nope no no you have you have to come back i understand that somebody shot and you think there's a bird over there that you need to go get but that's not for us yeah (laughs) you know they will associate that gunfire later on in a heartbeat i you know or whatever there's a story in the book i can't remember what its name when i'm hunting with my friend Frank Pucho and, and another friend Russ and his he uses the old beeper system on his pointers he runs pointers where they go beep 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 when the dog goes on point right oh yeah and you're you're yeah you're down and you're quail hunting somewhere quail right hunting, yeah. Yeah. yeah and the and the pointers are getting out in front and they're finding the birds yeah. first and your dog started to go to the beeping third third covey so, yeah so this is on Russ's lease and you know the first covey their dogs you know they're on their home turf and and, and and coveys are usually in the mm-hmm. same general area for quail. Yeah. So they run to the first covey, beep, 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 beep. And Frank and I go over there and, and our dog's on her and they get a couple of retrieves. And then the second covey, beep, 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 beep. We go over there. The third covey, those pointers are on. Our dogs were gone. They were gone. We turned around. Frank and I look at each other. We got no dogs around us. <laughs> and Frank goes, that didn't take long, did it? And they go, no. So they related. So they related the beeper sound. In two bird contacts with coveys, mm-hmm. those dogs are on birds someplace. We're going to that sound. So yep. don't tell me yep. you have to you have to use gunfire. So you're if you have a dog that can't can't figure that out, then you probably don't have a dog that's figuring much out. So yeah. Um, so I uh, I that's the way I introduced it. I I want to make sure they're not noise sensitive. I want to uh, find out what turns that dog on. Uh, fix the noise sensitivity first if they are. Then I'm going to have the person closest to them do something that they really enjoy, which fires that dog up. I'm going to start with a 209 starter pistol. Then I'm going to go to a shotgun. And then right after that, and this, I've done this in one session, by the way. We've gone from starter pistol to shotgun to out in the field Mm -hmm. in an hour. The whole session we're on birds Yeah, when people bring it to me. But I've, I've taken weeks to do it with other dogs. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading the dog to see what is the dog's reaction. And the ones that we were in one session probably could have flushed a bird and shot over the top of it and would have been fine. But I wasn't going to risk it. I'm yeah. not going to be yeah. the guy that makes your puppy a, do- a gun shy dog. Yeah. I yeah, wanna, absolutely. Yeah. I want to know what's going on and take it in a sequence where I feel safe so that I know that the pup's safe. So that's mm-hmm. my, that's my introduction to gunfire. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I, and I, and I think that that's, that's an important thing to end on is that you don't, yeah, you want to take it in these progressive steps, but there are those dogs that, yeah, you can absolutely progress them through those steps a lot quicker, but it's, it's too, it's, you know, going too far too quickly is going to, is going to, is more likely to mess you up than, could, than could not. Up, yeah. And, and we talked about this early on about the sequence and doing things in a positive manner and, mm-hmm. and doing things, um, you know, so the dog understood it and the pup understood it. And I hope people I'm getting, by the way, it's great. I'm getting a ton of emails and messages and texts on people enjoying the podcast and, and, and learning and, and just, uh, I, 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 I like to help people. More importantly, I like to help puppies. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that hopefully this is doing that. And uh, I'm enjoying the fact that it is. Um, it's not rocket science. What I'm saying is pretty simple. You're going to, 
be with your dog all of its life and a good part of your life if you take your time and do these things slowly spend a little more time to do things and you don't have a problem it saves you way more way more headaches and time in the future mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping that uh, that people will still buy the book because there's other stories in the book and that they can follow along the book and they can go back to the book and look at it and Many people have sent me pictures of their books, and they have highlights all over them, and they got red lines and circles and pages. Bent yeah, and all right. That stuff. So, uh, uh, I'm, you know, I hopefully they'll blend the two together. But I, I'm very thankful to be here, and I hope what we're what we're what we're sharing in these episodes are helping people be a better companion with their dog and their dog be a better companion with them and improving the relationship and the training sequences that are going forward for that pup's entire life and for that person's big part of that person's life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, absolutely the goal with the podcast. So, and and it's good to, to hear you, you verbalize it that way. That's really helpful. I actually, I, on part of me really would love to end there. Uh, <laughs> but I do have a question that I think might be helpful for somebody that, that they end up having that dog that that introduction to gunfire isn't going quickly with. So you said that, you know, you have dogs that it takes just an hour, but you have dogs that it's taken, you know, weeks for them to get to the point where it's, you know, you feel confident enough to start adding in that bird piece. So obviously, you, you know, you're not doing that for hours on end every single day. So maybe like, and I think I know the answer to this, but when you get to like the next time you go back to gunfire, are you going all the way back to the beginning with that little starter pistol? Are you kind of taking it back? Like if you got to the, uh, to the 20 gauge, are you, you know, from it, from 40 yards, are you starting, are you going back to the starter pistol? Are you starting at the 410 a little bit further, further away? Kind of how typically how far back in, in the steps are you going in that sort of setting? So I'm, I'm going to, that's a good question, by the way, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the puppy, right? And many times this is done in one session or two sessions or whatever, three. And like you say, sometimes with a, with a sensitive dog, I, I've taken months to get through this. Um, and, but the dog ended up being a great hunting dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm going to do is, first of all, I'm going to watch if that dog's sensitive at all. If it is, we're going to get it desensitized to the very first thing. So if it's if it's sensitized if it's if it's sensitive to noise, we're going to work on the noise first. We're going to work on you go home and you you know mm-hmm. lightly tap when it's eating, lightly tap when, it, when if you're, you're the dog the the guy or the girl that the dog likes to play with, have somebody else tap on something. Mm-hmm. Get it. We're going to get through that noise sensitivity first, and then if we get to gunfire. If it's the 209 primer that has a reaction, we're going to step back, go back a little, little noise, and then go farther away with that 209 until we get it to where it's not a big deal. It might take, you know, two days worth of firing it from 40 yards away till it's not a big deal. It might take two shots. But I'm going to go to where the dog, it's not bothered. So if I, if I, I look good and we do the, we do the primer and, and if I've got a dog that's doing great and I move up a little bit with the primer, say I started at 40 yards and I come, there's no reaction here. Mm -hmm. And I move up and I see 30 yards, there's no reaction. I move up and I do 25 yards. 
20 yards, there's no reaction or it's a positive reaction, I might walk back right then and go grab a 410 and go 45 yards away and do the same thing. Yeah. Or I might say, oh, this dog's had enough for today. Let's go do something else. This is this is plenty for this dog. Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of yeah. depends on what we're doing with the dog. We don't want to burn the dog out. We want to keep the dog wanting. Yeah. Wanting yeah, yeah. to learn. So, uh, so if I've done the 409, 209, excuse me, uh, primer and I come back, I'm going to go to that, but I'm going to go, say I moved up to 25 yards. I'm going to go back to the 35 or 45 yards and start and work it back in. Mm -hmm. But now if I'm all the way to the 20 gauge, right? And by the time I get to the 20 gauge, there's usually no problem. I'm I'm just walking up really fast. Yeah. Okay. Um, But if I get to the 20 gauge and we finished at the 410 and I did one 20 gauge and I moved up and I said, okay, this is enough for this puppy. Then I'm going to go back to the 410. If I'm on the 20 gauge and I'm up to 20 yards or 25 yards and I'm going to step back to, to, um, to 45 or 50 yards and just do one or two. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. what happens is by the time you get to the 20 gauge and I see no reaction at 45 yards, 50 yards, no reaction at 30 yards, no reaction at 25, we're heading out to the field. Let's go get a bird. Yeah. Let's yeah. go have a chase a bird. And the dog's going to be 50 or 60 yards away chasing that bird when I start firing gunshots. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be much farther away than it's already dealt with. So there's no chance that there's going to be a problem. I'll give you another tip. I'm glad you asked this question because here's a tip that I do too. When I introduce the, the bird to the gunfire, most people launch a bird or toss a bird and the dog takes off and the dog's chasing the bird and they start shooting in the air mm-hmm. and hopefully there's no problem. And you, if you've done it right, there shouldn't be a problem. What I do is once the dog, I'll shoot the dog, the dog's chasing, it's 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 yards out and I'll shoot two shots and the dog's chasing. I'll have two, two or three pigeons in my pouch and then I'll have a dead bird in my pouch. Mm-hmm. So now the dog's way out there, Right. And I watch for the dog to start coming back, and it figures it can't catch the bird. And as soon as I see it start turning towards me to come back, I'll throw a pigeon in the air, and it'll fly. And the dog will see the pigeon fly and go, oh, and I'll shoot. Now, the dog's 50, 60, 70 yards away, Mm -hmm. right? But now it's coming towards me, right? So I'll throw another pigeon real quick. Now it's coming from 60 yards. It's 40 yards. I'll shoot again. And now it's coming closer to the shot, so it gets used to coming towards the shot. Yeah. If it's a dog that's really good, I see it's really dog, really good. The if I'm shooting the second shot, sometimes the third shot, I'll throw the dead bird in the air and shoot. Now the dog comes all the way back and it finds a dead bird. So what has happened? It has gone out away, chased a bird, it has heard gunshots, no big deal. It started mm-hmm. coming to you and it relates that you're shooting at birds that are close to you. And it gets back to you in the shots and it finds a dead bird. So it correlates the shots with a dead bird also. Yeah. So, yeah. So it puts it all together. And that's a little thing I do out in the field when I'm finishing up a dog on, uh, on introduction to gunfire. I want them coming towards the duck gun and mm-hmm. I want them to find a dead bird and, and coming closer to you instead of just running away. This is after I've done all the other stuff. Yeah. 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 The, 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 at the very end of it. Yep. Yep. And then we're, then we're on birds. Oh. Well, great. Um, that actually will will wrap up this episode. Uh, yeah, great, great conversation. I think that 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 some of this, like uh, the conversation specifically on the intro to birds and intro to, to gunfire, is a, is a whole lot of man. If you can get these things right, you're saving yourself a whole lot of headache 
in years to come and probably going to get more more effective years out of your bird dog than than otherwise potentially yes because if you do something wrong or you have something that the event that causes a problem you're definitely going to lose time with that dog Mm -hmm. out of the field no question and it's a heartbreaker it really is and as i as i said earlier i hope you know there's going to be a lot of trainers that go you don't need to do all that you're right you don't need to do all that with 85 percent of the dogs but you have a pup that you have fallen in love with you've it's become part of your family Mm -hmm. your kids love that dog your husband or your wife loves that dog and then you do something wrong with that dog and it shuts down now you got a challenge do i have a hunting dog that i can fix or do i now have a companion dog do I get rid of it if it's only one dog family because I want to hunt? Mm-hmm. It becomes a major problem. So doing things in an order that hopefully, and they and it does have a very high percentage of not having problems and circumventing problems could save you not only a lot of time, but a lot of heartache in, in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I hope people have, have what, what they're hearing is, um, we try to keep everything positive the entire way through, and we try to keep everything in a sequence that the dog, we go at the dog's pace. If the dog's here, we go there. If it's yeah. not, we do that. And and the end result is a happy dog that wants to please you, that has built a huge bond with you as a partnership, and, and the rest of your years with that dog are going to be phenomenal. I'm going to say one thing. I know we're running out of time because I mentioned to you this earlier. This was this was after the last podcast. And we were, when I said, you know what? I hope people are, are the, the emails I'm getting, a lot of people are really enjoying this. But I hope people are applying it because it's not rocket science. And if you look at what we discussed, and I'm just going to throw this out to somebody. If you go out, and I said this to you, if you go out with somebody and they've got a young dog or even an older dog. And they go, whoa, and their dog stops right there. And they go up and do whatever. And they release their dog. They go out and their dog goes out in the field. And they put their hand out and they go this way. And the dog goes to the side that they're pointing at. And they recall their dog and it comes into them. And then they tell the dog down. And the dog lays down and stays down until they, until they tell them, okay, out. And then the dog goes out. If you're around a person that has a dog like that, you're like, Wow. That, that's a really that's well a great dog. dog. And basically all you did was teach it, whoa, recalling down and, and repetitively done this and then did the other stuff by osmosis. And you can have a better dog in a short period of time than 90% of the people out there have in a lifetime mm-hmm. with just doing it right, doing it in a, in, a, in a sequence that the dog understands and doing it consistently yeah. and repetitively. And, and you'll have an amazing, amazing dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to put in the, the time and the effort and, and the intentionality with it. I think that's the other mm-hmm. important piece with that. So, well, we'll go ahead and, and wrap up this episode. Uh, don't forget to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And uh, be sure to give us, a, a if this has been great for you, super helpful to you, give us a good rating. Um, and that, that helps other people find us so that we can help even more people uh, with their dogs and help them to build that relationship and, and have as good of a gun dog as they can have. And uh, don't remember, or don't remember. No, do remember. (laughs) Always remember. Please remember remember, uh, what George says in his book, which is blessed be the men and women that spend their lives with a bird dog by their side. Have a great day.